Economics in Action, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to economics. In this episode, we'll be emphasizing the best aspects of capitalism, an economic system that has been much maligned in recent times and also at many other times in its history. For all those capitalism bashers out there, don't worry, in another episode we'll dive into all of the ills of capitalism, but today we're going to cover what capitalism is and why most economists think it's a pretty darn good system. So let's start with the basics. What is capitalism? You often hear people say that capitalism is the private ownership over the means of production. And they're not wrong. But what does that mean exactly? Well, I think a better way to define capitalism is to list all of its key attributes in order to give a more all-encompassing picture. Remember, capitalism is an entire system of economic activity and thus is very broad. Okay, so what are the main elements here? Well, first you have private property, which means that individuals and businesses have the right to use and own property. To many, this is intuitively a good thing. If I was to build a house using my own backbreaking labor, it would seem wrong if somebody could just come up and take it away from me by force, right? Then there's the free market. This means that people are freely allowed to make exchanges. Prices for goods and services are set by the forces of supply and demand and are allowed to reach their point of equilibrium without intervention by government policy. The idea here is that individuals know their own preferences best and can trade accordingly. This freedom of exchange allows for the price in the market to be set at a point where the last consumer's utility for that good is equal to the cost of the producer producing that good. All the people in between win because of the price being either below the benefit they receive for it or higher than the cost to make it. We'll unpack this idea a little bit more later. Next we have competition, which drives innovation, efficiency, and the increased quality of products, and it leads to the optimal allocation of resources. The idea here is that businesses are always vying with each other for market share, and to do so need to produce goods and services that are actually useful and desired by people. For example, I might see that the horse-drawn carriage is kind of slow and decide people would like an automized mobile machine that goes faster, and I make one. People are better off because of that, and I also become rich. Which leads us to our next characteristic of the profit motive, which drives productive behavior. This is the incentive for financial gain as a motivator in economic activity. Of course, I may also have other reasons for making a automobile, such as wanting to benefit humanity or wanting to protect horses, but I also might just want to get rich. And that's fine if what I'm producing makes people better off. How do we know it's making people better off? Because they are exchanging with me. And this is the characteristic of voluntary exchange, or the fact that transactions are undertaken willingly by both buyers and sellers. This of course assumes that there's no fraud and that both parties have a certain amount of knowledge about what's being sold and bought. But the general idea here is that I won't buy something that won't make me better off, and someone won't sell me something that won't make them better off. Okay, two more to go. Next we have consumer sovereignty, which just means that consumers determine what goods and services are produced based on their purchases. This is the whole idea of voting with your dollars. 
And lastly, limited government intervention. While the degree of government intervention may vary, generally capitalism generally advocates for minimal interference. Since we're talking about how capitalism is the best today, we'll stick with this point, even though it's important to note that, in reality, governments have played a huge role in quote-unquote capitalist societies from the very beginning. It's also important to note that government or some third party with power that stands above individuals and firms is there not only to enforce private property rights, but also to be the arbiter of contracts, make sure the country is well defended from invaders, and just generally set the rules of market exchange. Now that we've talked about the characteristics of capitalism, let's talk about why it's so great. Economists generally think about this in a few different ways. Firstly, capitalism is seen as being the most efficient system of economic production. But efficiency here refers not only to using our resources and technology to produce the maximum amount of goods and services, which is known as productive efficiency, but it also means producing the right mix of goods and services, or ones that people actually want, known as allocative efficiency. Secondly, capitalism leads to economic growth over time which raises our living standards. And finally, capitalism brings about innovation. So we have efficiency, we have growth, and we have innovation. Let's start with the first, efficiency. Why is a capitalist economy efficient? Well, because the characteristics of capitalism that we just talked about lead to efficiency taking place. Or in other words, you can think about the system incentivizing the behavior of individuals towards this goal. Let's think about this from the side of the producer or seller first. It's important to note that we are all producers or sellers, even if we don't own a business, since we sell things like our labor. Firstly, since trade is voluntary, I can't compel anybody to buy the things I produce. I must instead entice them by making things that they actually want. It's important to note that I produce things not because I'm necessarily kind or caring, but because it benefits me as well. I can get rich. Which means that people will give me lots of goods and services in exchange for the goods or services that I'm selling. I can only get rich if people really benefit or like what I'm selling. This was one of Adam Smith's big ideas. However, there's a catch. If other people find out I'm selling something that everybody wants, they can try and compete with me by selling the same thing. Furthermore, if they can use less resources in the production process, i.e. spend less money to produce whatever it is that I am producing, then they can charge a lower price and undercut me. This process leads to two outcomes. First, producers economize or use less resources in production because of competition. And secondly, they produce goods and services that people actually want, because if they don't, they won't be able to sell for very long. We can also think of this from the perspective of the consumer. If I am a consumer, I have the power to decide what to buy. No one can force me to consume anything I don't want to. If I find something to be too expensive, to have too poor quality, or even something that harms me, I just don't buy it. Again, assuming that there is enough transparency about what I am buying. This leads to some great outcomes. Firstly, this leads to a variety of different goods that people want. 
and it can be very niche things too, as long as the number of people willing to purchase is enough to cover the cost of producers. Just go on Etsy and you can see what I mean by this. It also means that if something better comes along, or something cheaper comes along, I can just switch to purchasing that. For example, in the 1970s, Japanese car makers started to make headway in the American market, which was dominated by the big three automakers. Why did this happen? Well, it's simple. Japanese car makers were producing cars that had better gas mileage, were cheaper, and more reliable. Consumers thought they were better value and started buying them over American-made cars. Consumers got to save money, not only at the pump, but on the car itself. Okay, so capitalism is efficient, but it also leads to growth. What does this mean for an economy to grow, you might ask? That just means we're making more stuff year after year. And the only way to do that is for productivity to increase. Productivity is a measure of how much stuff we can make with a given set of resources and technology. The more we make, the more the economy grows. Economists use a measure known as real per capita GDP to gauge how well we're doing in the growth department, and it's a basic measure of the value of output per person. And just like with efficiency, capitalism structure and incentives leads to growth. That has a lot to do with competition, which we mentioned earlier. Businesses are always in search of ways to make more things using less resources. And when we use less resources to make something, those resources are freed up to make other things. For example, in the beginning of the 1800s, 90% of Americans worked on farms. Many grew just enough food to feed their family. Today, just 1.3% of Americans work on farms. We got so good at farming, we didn't need the whole population to just focus on that one task. We could grow enough food to feed the entire country using large-scale mechanized farming, and then the rest of this labor could be freed up to focus on producing other things like houses, cars, haircuts, and medicine. Remember how I said per capita GDP was a measure of growth? Back in 1820, per capita GDP is estimated to be around $1,257. That means each person was producing just $1,257 worth of stuff. And today, that number is $76,399. That's quite a jump. If you need more proof of this, just look at China. In the late 1970s, China began to change the way its economy operated. It went from having the government control almost all production collectivized farming, and little trade with the outside world to a much more privatized economic system where individuals made production decisions and there was a lot of international trade. And the results were clear. China went from a very impoverished country where citizens would often go hungry to the rich country today who produces all of the world's manufactured goods. Another interesting piece of growth data are the prosperity levels provided by the World Bank going back to 1820. Roughly 90% of the people back then were in extreme poverty compared to around 10% today. While most economists would be careful to point out that those large improvements weren't all the byproduct of unfettered capitalism, 
They would likely note the large role that trade liberalization, free exchange, and innovation had. Which brings us to our last reason capitalism is great, innovation. Austrian economist Arthur Schumpeter noticed in 1942 the tendency of capitalist systems to lead to what he called creative destruction, which is the idea that the old forms of production and products are always giving way to the new. Entrepreneurs are always trying to quote-unquote disrupt things by creating new ways of doing things and making new and better kinds of things. While they do this to gain market power and financial gain, the benefits of innovation accrue to everybody. And it's important to recognize the ruthless aspect of capitalism and its contribution to innovation in the long run. This disruption or destruction, whatever you want to call it, is painful in many ways. When a factory closes because it can't compete with some new product or production process or because of international competition, the workers and bosses are out of a job. They might have to retrain, move to a different town, or even switch professions. In the short term, that can be very painful. Therefore, there is always going to be some entrenched interest that are opposed to innovation and cling to the status quo. In other systems, these interests are protected for longer. In a capitalist system, they aren't. There's no better example of this than the Industrial Revolution, in which small-scale farming and artisanship was replaced by mechanized farming, factory-based production, and urbanization. While not without its downsides, and some pretty bad ones at that, this great upheaval of society led to some of the greatest innovations in history. There was the spinning jenny, the telegraph, the steam engine, and the cotton gin to name a few. And to be sure, many of these new technologies were resisted. When the price of yarn fell due to James Hargrave's invention of the spinning jenny in 1768, the spinning community of Blackburn broke into his house and smashed many of his devices and drove him out of town. Yet the technology prevailed and was later succeeded by even better yarn spinning tech. So there you have it, efficiency, growth, and innovation. Yay, capitalism. I'll leave you with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, doing well is the result of doing good. That's what capitalism is all about. If you found this episode informative, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment telling us what you liked.